Welcome back to another edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And with me, as always, the Sells Man, Matt Sells. So, Matt, how are you doing on this fine evening? Uh, I am doing pretty well. I know that this is a little bit later than the MLB podcast comes out typically for the week, but uh, with all of the uh, final negotiations happening over the first two days of this week, we kind of wanted to wait a little bit uh, to record it and see what exactly happened. And, um, yeah, by now you've all figured out that uh, we don't get opening day on March 31st. So that pretty well that pretty well sucks. Yeah, I think I'm glad you're doing I'm a little miffed, to be honest, with this whole uh, ordeal, this whole situation, this whole cluster, insert, whatever four-letter word after that you want to call it. Uh, the... The news that we got regarding the lockout isn't great. The deadline, which was kind of a deadline, but not really a deadline. It was all pretty much self-imposed mm-hmm. um, by one side of the equation. I'll let you, know, you listening get to kind of formulate which side I'm talking about there. But it's this whole thing. There's so much to decipher here. And, I mean, we could honestly spend more than, you know, four normal podcasts just talking about this whole thing and what to go with it. Um Matt, I see you've been tweeting a lot about it. We're going to get into some of these individual tweets that you have here. But basically, in general, kind of to summarize what we heard or what basically what we more so read and heard um, about what we know about the lockout at this point. And if you want to lead right into Manfred's press conference afterwards, I'll let you kind of go. But the the stage is yours. You have a microphone and a, and a megaphone. So go ahead and go ahead and speak. Speak your stuff. Yeah, so, you know, obviously at this point everybody knows that the lockout began December 2nd when Manford, as, or as Marcus Stroman refers to him as Man Clown, uh, basically stated to a reporter in a press conference that they're going to lock out the players as a negotiation tactic because they believe that that's the best way to get negotiations going is to lock people out. Then it took them 43 days to bring their first offer, right? Then it took them a month to respond, to counteroffer the players, and they tried to get the government involved with a, you know, third-party negotiator. And then they started to care in the 11th hour, which was this past week in Florida. Uh, Then they self-imposed some arbitrary deadlines simply because they wanted to put pressure on the players to succumb to their terrible deals. And none of it worked. So on one hand, I am very uh, pissed that we don't get baseball when we're supposed like we're supposed to be having baseball right now. Like we're supposed to have spring training happening right now, uh, and we should have regular season games starting at the end of this month because now it's March first. But I'm the other side of me is very happy that the players are not taking crap anymore, right? Like the last. <clears throat> several CBA negotiations have not gone in their favor. They've they've not. The last couple have been abysmal for the players as they've just taken deals to keep playing. And this group of players isn't taking that anymore. So um, I think that, you know, Max Scherzer said it pretty well when he said that the issue with the CBT, which is the um, competitive balance tax or the luxury tax as it's known, um, the owners are using it as a, a essentially as a salary cap, right? 
And the players don't view it that way. They view it as a way that says, hey, if you're going to spend more, that's great. But you've got to pay to, you know, you've got to help other teams be able to spend that much. And by the way, for all of those that are saying, well, $220 million is a is a cap is a pretty high one. If it increased with um, what player salary would be right now, the CBT would be $297 million, which is higher than still higher than anything the players offered in their offer on Tuesday. So uh, I think this is a massive cluster. I think it's really going to do damage to the game. I think we may, in fact, have a second steroid era coming because that's what it took to get baseball back from the 94 strike. Um, And for the third, for the second time in three years, we don't get a full season. And I know 2020 was COVID, but still, it took them like three months to figure out how to play two months of baseball Um, because they were arguing over money, just like they're doing now. So um, I will say that the press conference – from Rob Bamford today was not great. He smiled as he was telling people he was canceling regular season games. Keep in mind, this is the commissioner of the sport in which they're canceling games. Um, he's already called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. He clearly has a disdain for this sport, and um, he really should just go. I, I have no qualms about calling for Bamford to be gone. Obviously, he won't. Because the owners are making a lot of money, and that's what he's paid to do is make the owners money. But, you know, we, baseball deserves a commissioner that actually cares about the sport. And Rob Manfred is a tool that clearly doesn't. I want to I come back and touch on the steroid or potential. Another, obviously, you're not insinuating that that will happen, but kind of thoughts around it. The one interesting that I have before we kind of delve into some of the other side aspects of it is, does this mean that they're done negotiating forever? No, of course not. There no. hopefully will be some. Now, however, what kind of is interesting to me is I don't know when they're going to meet again. One would think that after this, it's got it's got to be at least a full day or two, I say at the very least, before they even negotiate again. But if the MLB is saying that they made their best offer, if it's their best offer, you can't get better than your best offer. It's like, you know, when you're in school, it's like, you got 100% on a test. You can't get better than 100%. So what more can be brought to the table? And you see it too with like the deadline. Say, yes, it was a deadline, but guess what happened on the whatever day it was, February uh, 28th, they met, things went well. Oh, this supposed hard deadline is now pushed to the next day at 5 p.m. It was never a deadline. It's exactly what you said. It's the, it's the we're going to set this arbitrary date that we know that we can move is so that we can try to strike a deal in whomever favor that it happens to fall for it. Obviously, it would lean one way versus the other, but the deadline could be moved. It was never a hard deadline, and we saw that. So I guess I, – I, let, let me make this my next question to you here with the – with the just kind of the overall sentiments of this. But if the MLB made their best offer – I mean, when's feasibly the next time they're going to even have a meaningful discussion? Because the next, you have to think the next discussion isn't going to be worth anything. If you have a fight with someone, your next conversation is kind of off-putting. You're both walking on eggshells. No one wants to say anything. You sit there in silence. You stare at each other and you move on. What is the reasonable timeline for this to you? Like, in just as a pure guess, it's got to be at least a few days, right? I mean, you're not gonna you 
like there were players calling for the talks to continue today. Like I saw Amir Garrett uh, tweeting, well, let's just keep talking and get this thing done. There were some other players out there too doing it. I think Chris Bassett was one. Um, but the MLBPA contingent left Florida earlier on uh, Tuesday. So they're clearly not going to hang out there and play and, and, and talk. Um, I know that there's a group of players in Arizona right now that are working out and doing spring drills like they normally would. I would expect a lot more players to go from Florida to Arizona and go, you know, work out and get in spring shape and whatnot. But yeah, I would say it wouldn't shock me if we didn't hear anything else for another week. That wouldn't shock me. I, I think at the very least you got to be right. We don't know how this will play out. It's, it's, I mean, it took, it took the MLB 43 days after initially locking guys out to say, Hey, here's our first offer after claiming that the lockout was put in place to drive people to the negotiation table. Absolutely. And yeah, no, I, I understand it's, it's tough and it stinks. I mean, right now we're already at the first two series being canceled, but I mean, am I naive or would anybody be naive to think that it's only those two series that gets canceled? That's best case scenario. I mean, let's be honest, but again, call me a pessimist or a realist. There's more coming. I, I, I don't think, are we seeing any light at the end of the tunnel? I think not. No, because here's the thing. The owners, as this was reported by multiple folks on Twitter, that are actual baseball writers and not like side researchers. Um, the owners clearly have the ability to wait this out, right? They, they clearly know that even if there's no games played contractually, they're going to make money because of deals that are already in place. And then if you're making money and you're not paying people, you that's all profit, right? So the owners are certainly in a better spot because they can, if the players don't play, they don't get paid. And, yeah, a lot of the guys that were at the negotiation table will be fine. Max Scherzer is not going to be hurting for money. He's, you know, getting paid $210 million from the Nationals over the last seven years. A lot of the younger guys who, by the way, the players were fighting for in this deal, that's what they wanted was more money sooner for the younger guys, less manipulation of um, contract status and all that good stuff. The younger guys are going to be hurting because there's an interesting situation brewing now uh minor league baseball is continuing they're not locked out it's a completely separate agreement with minor leagues so their season starts april 8th so they're all in spring camp getting ready like they normally would here's the problem you know who's not there the minor leaguers who are on the mlb 40-man rosters they are locked out so a bunch of the top prospects that we were hoping to see early on, like Julio Rodriguez, Cade Cavalli, Adley Rutschman, all of these guys aren't going to be playing at the start of the, the minor league season because they're all locked out. Yep, and it's it runs deeper than just it's it's not all of the the Max Scherzers of the world. It's not the big. I mean, there was I can't remember the exact numbers from the tweet, but I mean, not everybody in Major League Baseball are well-off millionaires oh no less than there's well less than 40 percent of players make a million dollars a year yeah so and and let let me ask you this just kind of the last the last thought here kind of on the lockout i mean obviously we play fantasy baseball we write about fantasy baseball 
here at Fantasy Alarm. We have a ton of content, including the MLB Draft Guide and the newly released cheat sheets. So make sure you check that out. But before all of that, I mean, maybe, I mean, I know for me, I was a baseball fan before I played fantasy baseball. You kind of talked about the steroid era. I knew I kind of wanted to come back to that. But ultimately, the from the player side, they are in, they are willing to not give in in the short term for better effects for the long term. That's basically what the overall seems like. We're not going to take something now just to get out there. We want the younger guys taken care of and more along that those lines. But it's a short-term inconvenience or sacrifice in the effort of getting a bigger long-term gain. But overall, I mean, what does this do for the game of baseball? You see Manfred said it was, you know, our first care in the world for this is the fans as they cancel games. It seems like viewership is down. Uh, you can get tickets to certain teams for next to nothing and half decent seats. So purely fantasy baseball aside, what does this mean for the game of baseball? It's certainly not great, right? Like it was already struggling. 2020 didn't help it because during a global pandemic, you had dudes arguing over how they were going to get paid and whether or not they wanted to go in bubbles and Whatnot. So they managed to put together a 60-game season for that when they really should have played well more than 100 games without much of an issue. 2021 happened, and it looked awesome. We had a resurgence, right? Like, I was just talking to uh, my wife about this, actually, that it's a terrible time for a lockout to happen. Think about what we're coming off of in 2021. Had Shohei Otani bust out, right? You had the arrival of Wander Franco, and then he signs a huge deal with a small market team that supposedly is broke, but somehow has money to pay Wander Franco $300 million. Uh, you have Fernando Tatis being all world. You have Mike Trout coming back healthy. You have Jacob deGrom coming back healthy, hopefully. You've got the richest owner in like all of sports has now spent a bunch of money to make the other New York team relevant, right? You've got a bunch of stars. You've got Juan Soto, who's on top of the world right now in terms of star power. You've got all of these star players coming, and now we can't watch them play. So as a sport, I think it's absolutely a horrifyingly bad tactic to complain that your star players aren't known and then lock your players out of playing so they really don't get known. And... You know, football's already taking over stuff. What happens in two weeks? Free agency for NFL starts. You have the combine happening, like this week in Indianapolis. You've got the draft in April. You've got a whole bunch of quarterbacks that are going to be free agents or traded or whatnot. When baseball comes back, it's going to be, I don't want to say irrelevant, but like, because it's technically not a word, but... It's going to be really hard to get baseball highlights back at the top of Sports Center like they used to be. So we're going to need some, some, you know, I don't suspect that we're going to get another steroid era. I'm just saying it's going to take something to that effect to, you know, baseball was the summer of 98 when you had Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire launching bombs every night and it was home run derbies live in front of the fans. That's what's going to need to happen because... Like, I'm not going anywhere. I like baseball that much, but geez, man, this is, it's, it's, and here's the other thing that people want to give credit to, you know, the owners and players on agreeing on the universal DH and um, the expanded playoffs. 
that was settled in 2020. That's two years ago. That's not a new agreement. So the only things they could actually agree on happened two years ago. But also, by the way, if you do want to sign up and watch live baseball, sign up for MILB.TV. They broadcast every minor league game uh, for all four levels of the minor leagues. And minor league baseball is starting on April 8th. It's not affected by the lockout. So go ahead and watch some some good minor league games. Uh, I watch that all the time, discount prospects. And, you know, watch some some good old-fashioned minor league baseball. It's always fun to watch that. So what I'm here. So if I'm hearing this correctly, what I'm hearing from you, um, Matt, at the sales mail on Twitter is that subscribe to MILB TV so you can watch minor league game, get the fantasy alarm, MLB fantasy baseball draft guide and the ultimate fantasy baseball cheat sheet that may or may not be available in the coming days due to what a little birdie may or may have not told me. Yep. Perfect. That is those are your three steps for this Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on when you are listening to this. But I do want to call out. Um, Howard Bender at Roto Buzz Guy has been doing more of his pieces this week since the last time that we've talked. So a couple of their best remaining free agents at a couple of different positional spots. We're going to touch on these quickly before we get into what we normally talk about. But the catcher landscape is a bit thin, to say the least. Um, so in Howard's article, he talked about the top five unsigned free agent catchers. So uh, Matt, I mean, I'm just be pretty point blank with you. Do any of these five that Howard mentioned really have a realistic chance of either one signing and starting with a team, or two being even reasonable fantasy uh, players for the 2022 season? So I think if you're in a deep two catcher format, there's one of these guys that's reasonable, and it's Robinson Chirinos. Um, he does have some pop, right? That's all you're looking for from a catcher. You already know that they're going to kill your batting average no matter who it is, unless it's unless you're paying up for Real Muto or, um, you know, Will Smith or, you know, some of the, yes, Monty Grandall, some of those guys. Other than that, they're going to kill your batting average, right? So all you're looking for is cheap pop, and that's what Robinson Chirinos has. So I think he gets signed. Teams are always looking for a veteran uh, catcher. And he was doing pretty well until, you know, he had an oblique issue. So that's the one guy I'm looking for from this from li- this list. I'm a sucker for Kurt Suzuki in real life because I like him as a real-life catcher, but there's no fantasy value there. So Chirinos is the only option, really. I agree with, I agree with Chirinos. Past five or past six years, really, other than 2020, a barrel rate of at least 7% in the other years has been north of eight. So there's at least pop batting average be damned. He will give you some home runs. So Trios is the guy there. We move over to second base. A couple names like Jed Lowry, the ageless Matthew Carpenter, Christopher Owings. we got Josh Harrison, Marwin Gonzalez. Uh, pretty much same question. Any of these guys really pique your interest um, in terms of if they happen to land a deal somewhere? I mean, maybe Jed Lowry for the first half of a season. Because in the first half, he's pretty good. He hits over 270 in the first half for his career, and then he tanks it in the second half, right? I know Mets fans are still better about two years and not playing a single flipping game for them at all. Um, But, you know, he's got cheap pop, and he's going late. And if you can play him for the first half and then get rid of him, the 245 career batting average in the second half isn't going to kill you if he's not on your roster, right? So... Um, that's, that's the guy I'm looking at, uh, Matt Carpenter. I've never really been a fan of him. I don't know why he just kind of always was a guy who, I don't know. He was good in real life, but I never really liked him for fantasy. Um, 
Chris Owings, maybe, if he lands in the right spot, maybe. Uh, you can get some steals out of that guy if he stays healthy, but it's going to be Jed Lowry for me. Mine was Lowry or Owings, and I'm hoping, you know, the past couple of years from Owings, 2020 and 2021, thanks to being Colorado, we've seen an, an increased batting average, but, you know, he does run a little bit, hasn't done as much late. He would be the one that might pique my interest outside of Lowry, but again, you're not really going to bank on him for Also, you get some multi-positional mm-hmm. with, for sure. depending he, on your league format. And he definitely needs, it's got to be a very, very, very hitter-friendly park for him yes. to really to really shine. Um, third base, Chris Bryant, obviously the big one. So he, if he's not your favorite on this list, you're going to have to have a hell of a reason as to why to convince me. But I'm going to assume that it is Chris Bryant for you. Um, I'll kind of jump the gun. You hear uh, Jonathan VR is the one that's interesting to me. Big power or decent power, good speed numbers, and he's continuously done it year by year. Batting average might be a little bit lower than you want. But other than Chris Bryant, VR is the only one that piques my interest here of these unsigned three uh, third basemen. Agreed. Uh, I was going to say VR for the speed aspect. I think he steals a little bit more bags than Chris Bryant at this point in his career. Um, The upside with Bryant is that he usually plays enough outfield to qualify there, too. And third base outfield is kind of an interesting multi-positional spot. And, you know, everybody's drafting Bryant like they're assuming he's going to get signed like a good you know, free agent would because his ADP right now is 84. Um, so you might get a little bit of a, of a, you know, value there in VR, but those are really the only two. I mean, the other guys on this list are Mike, uh, Mike Helfranco, Hanser Alberto, and Ahir Adrianzo. So, you know, it's clearly Bryant or VR. Absolutely. At shortstop, two defensive wizards as i'll probably put it between jose iglesias and Andrelton simmons but from a fantasy aspect the two here are probably two of the bigger name free agents just in general just not even just at shortstop but carlos correa and trevor story kind of splitting hairs a little bit uh between these two correa just got an injury history story will run more than correa will i think both of these guys are both incredibly interesting depending on where they sign and trevor story is going to get the knock against him of is he the same guy outside of Colorado full-time, like as he is now, like we've seen it. Other people are quick to throw that on Arenado since he left Colorado and his numbers. So Correa and Story easily the top two here, but Iglesias and Simmons should get some interest based on just their defensive prowess alone. Agreed. There's actually, if you watch uh, the YouTube channel Foolish Baseball, there's actually a, a piece on there about Andrew Alton Simmons making a case, if he keeps playing, Decent offense, but really good defense. There's a case to be made in about five or six years that he might be a Hall of Fame shortstop based on defense. Um, Kind of a tough case to make, but it's an intriguing piece. To me, I'm actually going to go Trevor Story over Carlos Correa with this one. Um, I know Correa had a very good bounce back year last year, but the injury history does concern me. Um, And I want some more steals out of shortstop than Correa gives, which is what Story does, and I know that people are going to say he's a career 240 hitter outside of course. Okay, here's the thing with that. If you play in cores for half your games, the pitches you see move differently at cores. Curveballs break differently. Sliders move differently. Even fastballs that don't normally have run might have more run in course field. Okay, then you go back to sea level and the curveballs move more. And the sliders move more. It's a lot harder to get used to that when you're going back and forth and back and forth between cores and not cores half of your games, right? If you 
take like that was the knock for DJ LeMahieu, right? LeMahieu, sure, he's great in Colorado, but what's he going to do with a Yankee? Well, what did he do? He won two batting titles, right? Nolan Arenado, yeah, his average dropped a little bit. Didn't drop that much. The power was still there, right? If you get to be playing at sea level all the time and you only make like one trip a year or a couple of trips a year to Coors, it's a lot easier to get used to hitting at sea level again than when you're going back and forth between them. So I think we actually see Trevor Story's batting average still be okay. I mean, it's not going to be spectacular, but the power is still there. The speed is still there. So, yeah, I, I think I would actually take Trevor Story over Correa. And then the other interesting position here that Howard touched on will be, obviously, the outfielders. Nicholas Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Kyle Schwarber, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler. There's many others. Nelson Cruz is more utility at this point, but he's also interested, you know, named on this list here. So I'll jump the gun. For me, it's Schwarber. I think he's he's got incredible pop. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. The universal DH certainly helps. Schwarber is the one I really have my eye on in this list. Is there anyone other than Schwarber that um, catches your eye more so than the uh, former national and Red Sox or Cubs guy, I should say, too? Um, I would say, you know, obviously Castellanos is going to get a lot of the attention and he hit. He had a very, very good last year uh, with the Reds, 309, 34 homers. That's pretty good. And I don't see him slowing down, you know, but. The ADP is still pretty high for Castellanos. Conforto, the question is, can he stay healthy enough to give you reasonable numbers at where you're going to have to take him, right? So instead of Schwarber, I'm going to go with Eddie Rosario for me. Um, you get a little less, you get less power for sure, but you do get potentially a higher batting average. Um, and I think that he can turn the NLCS MVP run into a very good, um, you know, solid 2022 season when he gets signed. Also, his ADP is outside the top 200 right now. So mm -hmm. that's that's a pretty good um, that's a pretty good value for Eddie Rosario because where I'm drafting a guy like him, I don't need him to be a monster pop guy. I don't need him to be a 300 average guy. I just need him to be a solid, solid baseball player, which is what Eddie Rosario is. So based on ADP, I'm going to go Rosario. I don't disagree with you on Schwarber, especially if he stays in Boston or goes to Colorado, the pop's going to be ridiculous. Um, you know, obviously Castellanos is the top dude, but I'm leaning towards Rosario for the value. Absolutely. So I believe the last one that Howard will probably put out is starting pitching and maybe relieving as well uh, those options there. So hopefully we'll get to touch on those next week. But did take a look at some ADP over at NFBC to take a look at some guys that stand out at certain values. So we'll talk about a couple of guys here in this week's This or That. This or That. So first up is Adelise Garcia coming in at pick 168. The two guys I want to kind of pit up against him will be Joey Gallo about seven picks later at uh, 175, who's still upset that infielders can play in the outfield, which robs his batting average and such. And then the DH extraordinaire Marcelo Ozuna at pick 191. So Adelise Garcia, Joey Gallo, Marcelo Ozuna, who is your preferred cup of tea? Uh, I'm going to go with Adelise Garcia. 
Um, I know that the second half was not great for him in terms of batting average. He only hit to 11. Um, but he was still solid in, in the metrics for me. Um, the steals stayed even. He stole eight bags in the first half, eight bags in the second half. The power did drop off, but that was a factor of batting average, um, you know, kind of dropping down. But, you know, he, the question was, was he going to last a whole season? Because he was a rookie last year and he was coming in pretty raw from being an international, you know, signing guy. But to me, I think the the upside is still there with him. I think he has more upside left um, in his game. I think he's got to sort some things out. But at 168, I'm fine with that for a guy who could, you know, should be a little bit better than he was last year in terms of power and speed. Uh, the offense got a boost in Texas to help him out too. So I'm I'm going with Adelise Garcia. Yep. I don't blame you there. I'm going to take the value. Usually it's you take the value and I'm paying the premium on a certain player, but I'm going to go with Ozuna. I know the 2020 season is kind of hard to take a lot from, but when you look at that year being a prim- primarily a DH for uh, Atlanta Ozuna, 362, 14 bombs, 1.155 OPS across 149 at-bats solely as a DH. Now the universal DH is back implemented. They don't have to stick him in the outfield. The big thing for me, I'm hoping for his counting stats. It's pretty much what we see on Twitter. It sounds like Freeman's probably not going back to Atlanta. That's just a couple tweets that I have seen. Now, I'm hoping he does for the counting stats for Ozuna. But for me, I'm going to basically take the value and take Ozuna. It'll be interesting in 2023 if we have the same conversation, because if Ozuna doesn't get enough time in the outfield and he loses outfield, that could be interesting. But for this year, I will take Ozuna over Garcia. Next up, relievers. We haven't really talked relievers too much here, so this one will be interesting. Um, Gregory Soto at 207. I remember I saw a tweet that said that he's pretty much going to be the guy, barring anything heading into any sort of spring training or resemblance of it that we'll have. But some other guys there, we have David Bednar at 205, Joe Barlow at pick 242, and Cincinnati's Lucas Sims at 245. So of that that group of four closers, is it Gregory Soto for you or is it someone else? Um, I did see the that tweet about Greg Gregory Soto being the locked in closer in Detroit. The reason he didn't finish the season that way is he got injured, right? So clearly he wasn't pitching, but that's not he's not going to lose his job because uh, he had what a broken finger, broken hand, something like that. Um, but for me, I'm going to go Joe Barlow. Joe Barlow came in for the uh, Rangers, and yeah, I'm kind of on a Rangers run here. Uh, Barlow came in after Ian Kennedy was traded uh, at the all-star break or the, the trade deadline last year. And he was a lockdown closer for them in August and in September. And he's had experience in the minor leagues closing. He's done well. He's a pretty good strikeout guy. And Texas, I still think is going to be in a lot of close games. And that ballpark is pretty pitcher friendly. So I'm going to take the 30 something spot value here. And I'm going to go Joe Barlow because that way I get a locked in closer there's not really anybody in that bullpen that's going to compete with him right off the bat for saves. Uh, so he's going to have a pretty decently long leash there. And I'll take the value over, you know, Gregory Soto. All right. All has been restored. I'm paying the premium. I will go ahead and take uh, Gregory Soto here. Detroit should be better. 
Is Soto bulletproof? Absolutely not. Would love to see more ground balls. Back in 2020, it was nearly 54% dropped. It was 44% last year. Would love for him to keep the ball on the ground more. Strikeout rate is still good, so I don't mind. I don't mind that. So for me, as long as Detroit's going to be better, hopefully they can make another splash signing, whether it be on the bump or maybe a star shortstop who's still available. You never know. But we'll see there. I'm going to go with Soto. If I had assurance that Cincinnati would deploy Lucas Sims as their closer, their only closer, and everything that comes with being the traditional only closer on that team, I would be very interested in Sims. Um, But for now, I'll have to go with Gregory Soto. We'll stick on the mound. A couple pitchers here. So we got Steven Matz at pick 253, Aaron Savali at 266, the ageless veteran whose fastball velocity is declining, yet he continues to produce in Kyle Hendricks. So Matt Savale and Kyle Hendricks, where do you stand? So I am going to go again with the value here. I'm just a sucker for Kyle Hendricks. I like the way he pitches in general. I think it plays well this day and age where all we're seeing is velo, velo, velo. Can we pump it? Like people were going nuts because a University of Tennessee starter was pumping it in at like 103. Um about a week ago it was all over you know rob friedman put out a tweet about this guy pumping it in between 101 and 103 and in the seventh inning he came out and his last fastball was like 98 right so everybody's talking velo 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 well what's happened is that you speed up the hitters bat speed okay so how do you get guys out now well you slow down their bat speed you confuse them with off-speed stuff and slower velo and pitches that move That would be Kyle Hendricks. And I know that 2021 was not good for him. He had his highest career ERA at 477. You know, the the XERA, the FIP, XFIP, Sierra were all not where you would like to see it. But I think that's also a proxy of how bad the Cubs were last year, right? They were just a mess from start to finish. Not really any help in that rotation they made trades all over the place. Um, so I will continue to support Kyle Hendricks. And by the way, as bad as he was, he still won 14 games last year. So I know wins are a fluky stat, but they still count for Roto. Um, and the guy is just dependable. He's going to go out there and throw 180-something innings. Um, you're not going to get a terribly great strikeout rate with him. That's okay. We're not talking about taking strikeout masters at this point. right? So I'm going to go with Kyle Hendricks. For a rebound, I still like pitching in, in Wrigley Field. I still like pitching in the NL Central. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Hendricks. I, I'm i going to pay the premium. I want Steven Matz. I was very excited by the signing for him in St. Louis. What he loses from the Toronto offense, he's going to gain with the St. Louis defense. Very good fielding team. Should help him out. A guy that likes to keep the ball on the ground. Out of the American League East should obviously help just in and of itself. So as long as Matt can stay healthy, which was a concern, the 2020, I'm, I'm convinced that is now an outlier. So I'm completely fine with Matt this year. If he stays healthy, I don't see why you can't win double-digit games and really improve across the board from 2021. Uh, I don't blame you for taking the discount with Hendricks. I, if Matt can push to over a strikeout per inning last year, uh, just under 8.6K per nine, I am all in. And he's a guy I'm playing to have a lot of, much like Brandon Marsh. I wouldn't be surprised if I have 100% ownership on those two in the – 2022 season here 
So that's enough for the this or that. So we got enough time here. I want to touch on two players here, one more so than the other, but I feel like we have to mention one of these guys here. So Josh Jung is going to be out for a couple of weeks now with an issue that popped up. So it looks like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has less of a threat to playing time at bats. He's outside of the top 300 right now, coming in at pick 343 since the calendar flipped to 2022. He's not the most exciting. He has a very underwhelming batted ball profile, but he can steal bases every now and again. So are we almost forced to be in on Kiner Falefa now at this price point? Yeah, a little bit. I think you're going to get some some better numbers from him this year. Obviously, the additions in the middle infield for Texas certainly help. It also changes where he's going to play because keep in mind, he was mostly their shortstop last year. Um now he's going to move back to third base, which is where he was the year before that. Um, so, yeah, you know, you get a little bit of the benefit of having multi-positional because he's going to count as a shortstop, but then is going to gain third base if he doesn't already have it, depending on your league settings. And outside the top 343 to get a guy who can steal you a handful of bags, have some decent pop, um, and have guaranteed playing time, basically, that's... You know, I'm not going to say forcing our hand, but it certainly makes him more interesting than he was looking uh, about three weeks ago before the Josh Jung shoulder ailment news started to bubble up. And then, you know, it, it looks like he may miss a, a pretty decent amount of time here uh, to start the season, which is disappointing for him because his last year ended with a foot uh, issue at AAA. But yeah, it, you know, kind of is looking more interesting now. With, do you think our projections right now, looking at the uh, projections here over at fantasyalarm.com, six homers, 12 stolen bases, 265 batting average, 404 at bats? We might see that play up a little bit the more time that Jung misses. But what do we think Falefa's ceiling is? Are we thinking like 10 bombs and 15 steals, or does he have an outside shot with enough playing time if he can stick in that lineup of like 10 bombs and 20 stolen bases? Um, I. I think the 10-15 profile is probably better suited for him. You know, everybody outproduces sometimes, but I don't I don't see that for Falefa. I mean, again, it's also going to depend on where they decide to hit him in the batting order. Um, I'm presuming that he's going to be in the bottom half of that order. Um, but if he's anywhere close to being able to see pitches to hit, maybe the numbers go up a little bit. Absolutely. So we'll see if he see what he can do there at 343 and then one pitcher outside of the top 400 before we wrap up this week's episode. One that's he might be near and dear to your heart. It might more so be distance than feelings or emotions. But Patrick Corbin, we were used to him being quite a prolific fantasy arm. A couple issues ran into about really last year. That's why he's outside the top 400 right now. But can Corbin make a really a meteoric jump in terms of fantasy value and be an arm that we can really rely on in 2022. I mean, that would be a heck of a jump, right? He was <laughs> an absolute dumpster fire in 2021. Like it was, it was unbearable to watch. He had drops in velo. The control wasn't there. His pitches were flat. I remember in 2020, I was writing DFS stuff and said, Hey, basically you can play Corbin like at home. He was good. And on the road, he would get lit up. That didn't help him in 2021 at all. He just got lit up everywhere. I think the Pirates took him 
deep like six times in a ball game last year, which was ridiculous. I don't know, man. I liked the signing when the Nats signed him out of it, you know, from away from Arizona and gave him the nice contract. And then in 2019, it worked out flawlessly. The guy was great during the regular season and then came in and was this pivotal swing man on the, you know, World Series winning run there. But, geez, man, did this thing fall apart for the last two years in Patrick Corbin. So if we get spring training before I'm drafting and he looks, I don't know which way I want to go with this, if it's okay or reasonable, I may use like a last pick just to see if there's any any salvaging of him. But, man, is this this is just it's so hard to, to trust Patrick Corbin right now. I guess the saving grace would be maybe his last 30 innings last year, a 3.82 ERA, almost a strikeout per inning there, but he's still allowed in batting average in 304 against him. Right. I guess the question becomes, did he just lose the, you know, was it a catcher situation, right? Because the Nats have had some catcher turnover the last couple of years. And was he just not gelling with the guys at the beginning of the year? Because remember, Kebe Ruiz came up towards the end of the year and that's when Corbin's numbers started to get good. So is it a, you know, he likes working with Kebe Ruiz or was it that he figured something out or what? But you got to really hope that that 30 innings pitch manifests itself again uh, to start this year. If you're going to find any value in Corbin. Outside of the top 400, I think you're just fine. I'm I'm willing to take a chance and he can return it for him, but I'm not. I'm probably not going to push him up. You know, I'm not going to do a 50 plus picks, but maybe say 365, 375, 380 range, right in there. Maybe around earlier than where he's going. I'd be comfortable with. I'll take a chance on the upside, especially with how my current pitching situation um, were to be, depending on a certain draft. I think the upside's there. The risk is immense, and it's one of those things where if you were to tell me he turns into a solid SP3. I would believe it just as much as you told me that he allows 13 home runs through his first six starts, and I end up dropping him shortly thereafter. Yeah. I mean, he's going to be he's going to be kind of the the ace of the staff in Washington right now because Strasburg is coming off of thoracic outlet syndrome stuff and nerve stuff and whatever. So who the heck knows how that guy's going to be starting the season? And there's like nobody else in that rotation like that losing. Uh, Scherzer and then Strasburg getting injured and whatnot. There's nobody in that rotation outside of Corbin and a half of Strasburg. I mean, Jojo Gray is promising, but the guy's in his still, I think, qualifies as a rookie. So you're going to get kind of a de facto ace of a bad Nats team. I'm going to remove about 87% of the words that you just said there, and I'm just going to leave it at Patrick Corbin and the ace and that's all you need to know there and that's what i'm going off of so you heard it from the salesman patrick corbin ace there are some other words in there and you can fill them in as you wish um for me the the, the word where was is an ace that's what i heard so um we'll see patrick corbin outside of the top 400 right now per nfbc adp data keep them keep in mind as you get toward the back half of your draft but we kind of talked about it here obviously it's going to be tough in the fantasy baseball space here we're still going to continue with a lot of unknowns with what we talked about free agents now still can't sign lockout's still going to be in effect matt and i'll still be here usually recording every monday we'll continue to put out great content still keep reading all of the awesome content that's going to come out 
in the Fantasy Alarm MLB Draft Guide. The cheat sheet has launched, so make sure you check that out. And there's also going to be uh, some best ball drafts running across different sites that you'll be able to get in and draft with. Some of us, I know I'll be in a ton of the BB10s that we'll have to offer. So a lot of great content still to come out. Yes, the news about the lockout is disappointing. The effects on the game, we might not know the true extent for a little bit of time. But again, we'll continue to talk about it here each week, Matt and I. Uh, you also see Matt's thoughts on Twitter. Go check out some of his tweets. They're quite, they're quite the hoot. Um, I, I enjoyed reading some of them. So um, keep checking it out. We'll, we'll stay on top of everything here, lockout, fantasy baseball-wise. And once the lockout, hopefully once it ends, we will be able to get some free agent signings, and we'll be on top of that here at Fantasy Alarm. So for Matt Sells at The Sellsman on Twitter, I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And we will see you next week.